Well, good evening. All right. Um, so tonight we are going to be doing a prophecy update. Um, let me get this going here. I don't ever use my iPad for anything here, but I have a lot of articles to go over, so it's easier for me to have little clips of them here than have a stack of paper to work with. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. That's where we're going to start tonight. Um, while you're turning there, I just wanted to pray one more time um, for some people in the church. So Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the time of worship that we have, Lord, before our Bible study, for uh, just the opportunity to really focus our hearts and our minds on you, Lord, and to have our attention drawn to your goodness, to who you are, to what you've done for us, Lord. And we do thank you so much. I ask, Lord, tonight uh, for uh, Seth and Brianna. Lord, we pray for Brianna. She's home recovering, Lord, after having the surgery. Um, we pray that you would be with her, that you would touch her body and heal her. You give Seth the strength and wisdom to know how to minister to his wife, Lord. Um, and we pray that you would just be with them and comfort them tonight, Lord. Um, and we pray for others, Lord. I know there are others who are sick or, or have other things going on, and we pray for them, Lord. The body of believers here at our church fellowship, Lord, um, who have needs, Lord. You know what they are, and we ask that you would minister to them, Lord. And we pray again for tonight that by your Spirit you would speak to us, Lord, that these things that we look at would not cause us to fear or cause us to be dismayed, Lord, but that we would see, we would note them, we would know that they speak of your soon return, that we would look up for your return for your church, Lord, um, and that we would be encouraged and spurred on to be faithful to you in these dark times in which we live, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Psalm 34. Uh, I wanted to start with the good before we get into the headlines here. So it says, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see the Lord, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So that's the good news, right? So... Bible prophecy update. Now we here at Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor, we we hold to, uh, I know for the pastor, for myself, and and most of us who minister here, um, we hold to a literal view of the book of Revelation, meaning that these things are Bible prophecy. We believe that they will be fulfilled literally, that we'll see them take place. Uh, We believe that the book of Revelation, for the most part, um, has not taken place yet. We, we haven't seen the fulfillment of um, chapter uh, 3 on, essentially, uh, and, and that uh, Jesus also calls all of his church and his believers, his followers, to be aware of the signs of the time in which we live, to be watching and to be expecting for his return. Now, uh, I also believe, and I believe the Bible's clear on this, that the Lord will be coming back to rapture his church, meaning to remove his church uh, from the earth, um, and to, as we read in Psalm 34, deliver them from trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period that we read about in Revelation and other books of prophecy, the seven years where God is pouring out his wrath on the earth, Um, and I believe that there is nothing holding back the rapture from happening right now except for the Lord's grace. Uh, And so, as such, there are no signs for the rapture to take place. However, we have lots of signs for the things that follow shortly thereafter the rapture. And, And those signs, we don't have time to go into all of them, but those signs are, we're beginning to see what the Bible talks about, birth pangs where we're seeing these things and foreshadowings of what is coming beginning to ramp up and to, and to take place on the earth. And as we see these things begin to take place, then we know the rapture is coming before that. As we see the signs of what comes afterwards, then we know the rapture is coming. Um, I, I'm not the one who came up with this, but it's uh, when you go into Walmart and you begin to see the signs of Christmas all around you, you know that Thanksgiving is coming, right? That's the same idea, okay? So as we see the signs of the end times coming, we know that the rapture is coming sooner, and we need to have that expectation. Israel, we can go to that next slide, Jim. Israel uh, is one of the key signs of the times, Bible prophecy indicators, because uh, seven-year tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's when God deals with Israel. Um, and uh, a lot of the things we read about in the book of Revelation have to do with Israel as a restored nation, which uh, we saw take place in 1948. Um, that has to do with the rebuilt temple, which we're seeing things build, uh, build up to that 
uh, take place and, and kind of all of the geopolitics we read about in the book of Revelation and other books of prophecy focus around Israel. So um, Israel is uh, something we should be watching. So just uh, recently, um, Israel and Lebanon, they've actually for a few years had a dispute over some waters, uh, their maritime border out uh, off of their coast in the Mediterranean Sea. And the reason is there's natural gas out there. Um, natural gas uh, for Israel, and as we know, if you've been watching the news, that's a huge resource, very critical um, thing to have right now. And Israel has large, large supplies and quantities of it. And the nations around Israel want to get to the supplies that it has found, basically. And so Lebanon has been fighting with Israel for a long time over, over that. Now, recently they had uh, their, uh, I don't know, temporary prime minister, um, uh, Yair Lapid, uh, basically through the U.S., broker a deal with Lebanon to basically give up areas of this natural gas and to uh, redefine uh, some of their borders and boundaries. Under the agreement, Israel will receive recognition for its buoy-marked boundary, that's five kilometers or three miles off the coast of the northern town of Rosh Hanikra. Um, After that, Israel's border will follow the southern edge of the disputed area known as Line 23. Lebanon will enjoy the economic benefits of the area north of Line 23, including the Cana gas field, while Israel will move ahead with its plans to imminently begin gas production at the Karish field. Prime Minister Yair Lapid said last week that under the agreed terms, Israel will receive approximately 17% of the revenues from the Lebanese gas field. Now, they found this, right? They discovered it. Um, And they're only getting 17% under this deal. Uh, The prime minister also argued the deal staves off a potential war with Hezbollah and denied claims by opposition figures that it would funnel money to the Lebanese terror group. However, Lebanon has been overrun with Hezbollah. If you know Hezbollah, Hezbollah is basically a proxy group for Iran. Iran, which is a mortal enemy of Israel. We see, I mean, you can go back for a long time, um, to see Iran with their uh, Islamic views and, and the Sharia law there and all of the things that they have in their eschatology um, where they believe they need to push Israel into the sea. So essentially, the prime minister that they have in Israel right now has done what happened in the past was to give up their territory for so-called peace when really it's a false peace. Um, and, and there's going to be no, no uh, stability with this. So, um, and, and we as a nation, U.S., was part of pressuring them to sign this deal to be a part of this. Um, and again, uh, nations that bless Israel, the Lord will bless. And those who curse Israel, the Lord will curse. And we see a judgment in the Bible on nations that divide Israel up. Um, and that's what we see taking place. So um, this U.S. engineered and guaranteed Israel-Lebanon maritime accord is supposed to follow in the footsteps of Israel's peace treaties with Egypt, Jordan, and the UAE, Bahrain, and Morocco. Uh, And it it concluded with uh, this maritime accord, rather, 
I should say, was concluded with Lebanon. It's a failed state. It's afflicted with religious, ethnic, and political fragmentation. It's been exploited by the anti-U.S. pro-Iran terror group Hezbollah, like I said, um, to the extent that it now more or less controls Lebanon. And uh, this was basically just given away with really nothing for Israel in return except for that 17%. Um, And that's only if Lebanon can actually uh, produce any natural gas from it. So let's move on. Uh, If you guys have been watching, the very short-lived prime minister of uh, England stepped down, Liz Truss. She basically said, I'm done, I can't do my job, and I'm leaving 45 days in. Now, this new prime minister has stepped up. His name is Rishi Sunak, um, and he's actually taken a stance here from what we know. Now, again, he's a politician, so uh, you can only take what they say so far, um, and then you have to wait and see how they live up to their word. But what he did say is that um, he called Jerusalem Israel's historic capital and vowed to fight um, boycott, divest, and sanction. Um, which is a move, basically, it's anti-Semitism against Israel, which is another sign of the times. It's the world turning against Israel, that it will be a a cup of trembling for the nations, and and that all nations will hate Israel and turn against it. Um, He he declared Jerusalem is indisputably the historic capital of Israel, and there's a very strong case for moving the UK embassy from its current location in Tel Aviv. He said, it's something I'd like to do. Um, But he also acknowledged their sensitivities over the issue. And he said, if it was that easy, it would have been done by now. So that could be a good move. We'll see. But again, we see all eyes on Israel. Um, And I would encourage you to keep your eye on these new leaders that begin to step up. If you've noticed, a lot of the world governments and leaders, they've just been going by the wayside. And there's this new group coming in. Um, and I, I myself am a little suspect uh, of these new people, especially in the times in which we live, to see whether they actually are good for the nations um, or not. But the Bible says that we're going towards this one world government, this one world system, um, and I think a lot of this plays into that. So uh, one of the other Bible prophecies that we have is Ezekiel 38, and it talks about this alliance of nations that comes down against Israel, Gog, Magog, um, Rosh, uh, and Tubal, uh, Meshach, and, and all of these other nations. Um, and, and there are many Bible teachers and believers who, who believe that Russia fulfills Rosh, um, Gog, Magog, uh, or Gog would be the leader of Magog. Um, and, and so our eyes are on Russia and what's taking place there as in their war with Ukraine. Because as we see what, what happens in Ukraine, um, Israel is, keeps being tempted to be drawn into that war. Ukraine keeps asking them for weapons. Um, they want them to help with defense. Um, they they uh, have had strained relations with Russia, um, and uh, they are just kind of on the line with uh, what's going on right now. Israel has not done anything except for supplied like defense, um, air defenses basically for Ukraine at this moment, but it could take place where Israel steps in, and this ties back to the natural gas fields. 
Russia's main is the main exporter, as we've seen, Nord Stream pipe uh, pipeline, Nord Stream two. Um, they were the main supplier for Europe for natural gas. That's being cut off, choked off. And right now, Israel, with their supplies, could step right in and start supplying. In fact, there's moves for Israel to do that. In the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, it talks about um, a hook in the jaw drawing Gog and Magog down and these other nations down. And there's a, a, a basically a complaint against them saying, have you come for plunder? Have you come for booty, the old King James says. And... Uh, and uh, I believe that this natural gas and what Israel is doing could play a part in this. So, however, we're being, the U.S. is being drawn into this as well. And, and one of the other signs of the times Jesus talks about is wars and rumors of wars, right? Where there will be just this rapid increase of war and, and talks of wars and threats of wars all the time. Um, and just this week, we had the Army's uh, 101st Airborne Division for the first time since World War II uh, basically uh, land in, in Europe and uh, is combat ready to cross the border into Ukraine um, and are doing exercises right now. Um, they're practicing with live tank and artillery rounds not far from the Black Sea, across which Russia has taken territory from Ukraine, <laughs> including Crimea. And they're at a forward operating site on NATO's eastern flank. Brigadier General uh, John Lubis, the division's deputy commander, stressed this is not a training deployment, but rather a combat deployment from which his forces need to be ready to fight tonight, depending on how the situation escalates across the border. Um, and he said they're uh, prepared to step in. There's roughly 4,700 soldiers from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. They're about three miles away from Romania's border with Ukraine. Um, and they're conducting joint ground and air assault exercises currently. Um, so we can move on there, Jim. Yeah. Uh, so the other part of this war now is we are seeing Iran being drawn into the war with Russia as well. Now, Iran is one of these other players with the Gog-Magog um, invasion coming down. They're called Persia at that time, um, and they used to be called Persia very recently. Um, so, But we have reports that are being circulated that Iranian soldiers are training Russians to operate drones after numerous reports of technical failures. Both Tehran and Moscow have denied the allegations, but the writing was on the wall. Now there are reports of at least 10 Iranians who've died from Ukrainian airstrikes in the combat zones. The training is no different than fighting alongside Russian troops. Over 20 Iranian instructors have been spotted in Crimea and Kherson Oblast. The Russians took Iranian instructors to the territory of the temporarily occupied Kherson region and Crimea to launch uh, kamikaze drones. They teach the Russians how to use these drones and directly monitor the launch of drones on Ukrainian civilian targets, including strikes on uh, Mykolaiv and Odessa. And uh, just so you know, a lot of these drones, they got the technology from when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan and left behind all of our technology there um, and everything. So, But again, Iran, we see surrounding Israel, Iran making moves uh, there along with uh, Russia. And, and so who knows, we might see that take place. 
Um, and so we're seeing things again ramp up. Now, this war is not just going to be affecting Israel, but we're seeing it affect the entire world right now. What's going on? Our country devoting all of these resources, include our, including our fuel reserves. Um, there's a, a rapid uh, um, decrease in the amount of food supplies that are coming out to the world right now. Um, and there's just a lot of things going on. It's causing economic woes. In fact, um, bread prices have skyrocketed in uh, Europe as inflation is gripping it right now. Um, and, uh, in fact, one of the signs of the times that we see in the book of Revelation is that it will be a day's wage to buy a loaf of bread. And currently, the price of wheat uh, in central France has increased by more than 30%. Uh, and the bill for the electricity needed to run the, the bread mill has tripled. Uh, even the price of paper used for flour sacks has hit the stratosphere, all of which is driving up the price of a loaf of bread. It's interesting that they use this as the indicator. As inflation continues to flare across Europe, few matters are causing more concern than the cost of a basic loaf of bread. Prices for the most essential food staple have never been higher and are now up nearly 19% from a year ago, the fastest rise on record. Um, and then uh, high consumer prices are a concern in the U.S. as well. The pace of inflation, nearly uh, a four-decade high, remains elevated even as the Federal Reserve has tried to cool the economy. Even here, the price of bread has jumped 15% from a year ago. Food companies are passing on higher costs. On Wednesday, no, uh, Nestle had uh, raised prices 9.5% in the third quarter compa compared to the same period last year. Um, and then the price of bread, when it rises, people begin to feel it right away because that's a staple, right? It's, it's something you have to have all the time. The squeeze has been sharpest in countries nearest to the conflict zone in Ukraine, especially Hungary, where the cost of a basic loaf surged in September by 77% in price from a year ago. In Croatia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Slovakia, bread prices are up over 30%. And the whirlwind has come as a shock in Germany where the cost of bread is shot up over 18% in a year. Um, and so we're just seeing that increase more and more, and it's skyrocketing. And again, this is a sign of the time. Now, it's not just bread being uh, affected here, but the food supplies all around are being affected um, and, and there are many people who are predicting a food crisis next year and that we're just beginning to, to feel it here now. Uh, the world is at risk of yet another year of record hum hunger as the global food crisis continues to drive yet more people into worsening levels of severe hunger. Um, and uh, it says this, uh, uh, they say, climate shocks, conflict, economic pressures, I, I would also say COVID-19 and the lockdowns that we had and the after effects of that, all of these other things have pushed the number of severely hungry people around the world from 282 million people to 345 million in just the first months of 2022. Uh, the UN World Food Program scaled up food assistance targets to reach a record 153 million people in 2022 um, and tried to reach another 111 million people as well, but that's not going to do much there. The UN is warning that hunger is one of Haiti's big, uh, in one of Haiti's biggest slums is at catastrophic levels. 
um, in Haiti as well right now, if you're watching, there's gang violence. Um, there's no rule of law. It's complete chaos there. An economic crisis is pushing the country to the breaking point. Nearly 20,000 people in one city alone have dangerously little access to food and are facing starvation right now. Across Haiti, 5 million people are struggling with malnutrition. Right now also, a whopping two-thirds of all fertilizer production capacity in Europe has already been shut down completely because of the skyrocketing price of natural gas. Fertilizer, obviously, we don't eat it, but we need it to grow, right? The farmers across the world are being affected crazy uh, I mean, not just in natural gas and not having that, not having fertilizer. They don't have seed that they can plant, but they're also now being uh, shut down by the governments of the world around them, basically saying that their operations are affecting the climate and causing global warming. And so they're basically shutting uh, food production down across the world. We saw all that big uptick of protests in the Netherlands and Australia over uh, these farms being shut down. Um, and, and we're just going to continue to see these things take place. Um, to top that, uh, we had in our country a thing called the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Um, and the White House quietly has revealed a five-year plan to spray particles in the sky to dim the sun. This is built right into their House Appropriations, their Consolidated Appropriations Act. Uh, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy quietly revealed its plan to cool the earth by reflecting sunlight back into space. The plan was tucked neatly away within thousands of pages of the uh, act, and it was directed by Congress to complete it. Um, it says its plan is uh, to geoengineer, which includes multiple intervention protocols, namely spraying aerosols into the stratosphere to reflect sunlight back into space. What was once the subject of dystopian fiction and called conspiracy theory recently is now being kicked around as official policy, and most Americans are completely unaware. Nearly three years ago, um, this website... Uh, uh, reported on the plan by Congress, which began under Donald Trump, to procure funding for this type of research. The top climate change scientist for NOAA received $4 million in funding from Congress, along with permission to study two highly controversial geoengineering methods in an attempt to cool the earth. Uh, and it said that the federal government is ready to examine the science behind geoengineering and what he dubs a plan B for climate change. See, they're pushing this narrative about climate change. It used to be global war Well, it used to be global cooling, and then it was global warming, and then it's global cooling, and now it's just climate change because they can't make up their minds, right? Really what it is, it's global control is what, what they want. And so, uh, and... Uh, this is a, an untested, untried, no one really truly knows the health effects of this. They don't know the long-term effects. You start spraying stuff in the air, it's going to spread across, I mean, how do you control the area that covers, right? Um, there are actually studies quite a while ago, Mount Shasta, where, where residents there on Mount Shasta were finding toxic heavy metal particles in their drinking water caused by spraying activities in their area. So um, there's a lot of questionable things going on 
uh, about this right now and before. Uh, even I'll, I'll admit myself, I didn't believe it was happening um, previously, but we are seeing them just now basically parading it out there that this is what we're doing. And in fact, it's been going on since the 1950s, if you do a little more research on this. But the White House is laying out its plans for this, which is their idea is to dim the sun. Um, and uh, it is to restore the quality of the environment. Um, during COVID-19 pandemic, the World Economic Forum put out their mission entitled The Great Reset to use the pandemic to push what they say is a need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis to help, quote-unquote, inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. After amassing government influence for years, the group, which openly refers to themselves as elites, has come to the same conclusion that Bill Gates has come to years ago. We need to block out the sun to slow climate change. Differing from Gates' plan of spraying aerosol particles into the atmosphere to block out the sun, the World Economic Forum has gotten behind the MIT proposal to use space bubbles to form a solar shield. So geoengineering, it's controversial, um, it's in here, but they say they have to do it if temperature rises can't be capped at a manageable level. Last year, the nation of Sweden, they recanted on their plan to test uh, the plan to spray particles in the sky um, because there were disagreements around whether it would even work by scientists. Dave Keith, professor of applied physics and public policy at Harvard, recognizes the very many real concerns of geoengineering, um, but to offset these risks, he's proposed the creation of a risk pool to collect funds for the risks associated with playing Mother Nature, up to and including cooling an area so much that inhabitants are unable to grow food. Again, these temperature decreases bring with them serious risks. Freezing temperatures in 1850 led to failed crops and near-famine conditions. British scientists have cited stratospheric aerosols from volcanic eruptions in Alaska and Mexico as the cause of drought in Africa's Sahel region that we've seen recently. Major disruption of the global climate, climate could bring unintended consequences, or intended, negatively impacting highly populated regions and engineering another refugee crisis. I read that about them creating a risk pool. My first thought was it's similar to what they've done with the um, uh, COVID-19 vaccine and other vaccines, basically saying that they will be not held accountable, but the government has a pool of money to pay you when you get hurt, basically. Um, and so, and that's the same thing that they're doing. But again, uh, it's what this is going to result in if they are successful in what they're doing is really going to destroy the food production of our globe, of our culture, of, of the world, basically. So we see economic woes coming. IRS, they've made the highest deductible hike on record due to inflation for taxes. Um, the increase, they increased the individual tax deductible for 2023 at the highest rate in more than 35 years due to inflation. They increased by $900 to $13,850 
um, up to $1,800 to $27,700 is that bracket for married couples filing jointly, a roughly 7% increase compared to tax year 2022. It's the largest hike since 1985 when tax brackets were first tied to inflation. So that's we're going to start seeing it here, not till 2024 on that one, but we're going to keep seeing it. Um, to boot, because of our administration's policies in helping in the war with Ukraine, as well as um, uh, what some believe may have been caused by the U.S.'s cooperation with NATO, the shutdown of the uh, natural gas pipelines to Europe, we've been exporting our strategic petroleum reserve to Europe, basically, uh, capitalizing on their woes to make money at the same time as being a detriment to our strategic reserves here. And everybody is upset about the rising prices. What they don't know is that we only have 25 days of diesel fuel left in our reserves in the entire nation. So if something stops production, that means we could only maintain our operations throughout our whole country for less than a month. And diesel, you know, most of us maybe don't use diesel all that much, but all the semis, the railroads, uh, generators, heating fuel for many people, uh, diesel is used for the, it, all of the industries. It's the backbone of the transportation industry, and we have less than a month worth of supplies. If something shuts down, that means everything's shutting down for us. Uh, and uh, it's uh, been described, diesel has been described as the nation's inflation canary, that idea of a canary in a coal mine that would die, letting you know there's toxic fumes coming out of that coal mine. Um, and so uh, they say it's critically important for everything we need to survive. The bottom line is that without ample supplies and record high prices for what's left, Americans will get financially hammered over the winter and into 2023. So not only do we not have supplies, but the prices are going up, and that's going to affect everything because that the transportation, again, getting all the supplies here, that cost is going up as well. Um, and so we're going to continue to see that. Economic woes. Now, uh, tied in with transportation, one of the other signs of the times that we see is uh, this, uh, what some call the beast system. In the scriptures, it talks about how um, the people of the earth will be deceived and will be basically forced into uh, make a choice about whether they will accept the mark of the beast to worship um, the Antichrist and his image um, in order that they might buy and sell, eat food, basically exist, or if they resist, to be killed, essentially. Um, and so, but what that takes in order to control every single transaction, in order to control society at that level, is a one-world government, a one-world economic system, and, and is control over all of the currencies and control over everything. So one of the things that they're using, again, is this economic and environmental push that we see through industries and businesses. Um, our president here has announced a $3 billion push for U.S. battery production in electric vehicles in our nation. Um, he wants to up that 
uh, so that we can start going to an all-electric fleet of vehicles. Um, my company's talking about trying to go to an all-electric fleet of vehicles, which is insane on the south end of the island. Um, just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but on top of that, uh, the, all this spending and everything, again, they're, they're couching it in the terms of being good for the environment. However, when you study electric vehicle battery production and the electric vehicles themselves, it's far more harmful to the environment, the mining that they do. It uh, uses child and slave labor um, to produce and mine these uh, materials for the batteries. Um, and, and the cost and expense of charging your battery itself puts out way more CO2 than any gas combustion engine by multitudes um, and there, there really is no uh, environmental benefit to these electric vehicles at all. Um, and in fact, they don't work well. Um, you, you can't travel very far at all. In fact, there's some memes out there if you want to look for them where they have electric vehicle owners with uh, thumbing out on a highway with a gas can so that they can fill up their mini generator they have to keep in the trunk of their electric vehicle to charge their battery because there's and it's it's not just a meme it's actually real life but uh, that's that's what we have there so um, but they want to start doing that here in the U.S. because they're going to be pushing for all gas combustion diesel all of those vehicles to go away uh, we are already seeing that in California. And we're seeing them trying to push that here in Washington State as well. So, um, it's, again, it's going to be economic burden, um, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause control because these electric vehicles as well, what, what do they have in them? They're all connected to the Internet. They're all monitored. They all rely on the electric grid, which is controlled by major corporations <laughs> and has all of this government fingers in how they operate and what they do, Right. Um, and so it's all tied into this system in order to control the people, to lead up to what the Antichrist has in his government. So, again, borders are important as well and, and because one world government requires all the nations to be cooperating. And we had just this month, um, we had our administration propose that we merge the U.S. with Mexico and Canada to create the North American Union similar to the European Union because that's worked so well. Um, you've heard the saying, no border, no wall, no USA at all, which has been chanted by Antifa. But now this is the same chant that Biden's uh, upper echelons are, are chanting. Uh, the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, uh, announced recently that our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, proposed opening all borders among the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, completely open. He said, I think that Mr. Blinken spoke about consolidating the region of North America, and we agree on that. He says, so naturally the Biden administration wants to create something very much like that in North America, like EU, uh, 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 EU-style government. Um, and there's a push for that to take place. Um, one of the things I've noticed trends that we're seeing happen is uh, this idea of cooperating. It, they call it um, public-private partnerships. And a public-private partnership is where the government says, we have the money, 
you as a private company step in and do these things for us and we'll do this for you and pay you and, and get this um, put together. What that's causing, I'm being vague because it covers everything. Um, basically, you see it in all aspects. But what that causes then is a need for common standards, for common laws, for common currency, for common trade. It, it, it causes this need for everyone to work together. Otherwise, none of these things happen. These projects don't take place. And we're seeing that push across the world, across, across the economy. Um, and with uh, the borders as well, that's, that's um, a push that we have. Now, with the electric vehicles as well in Canada, um, Canadian electric vehicle owners have been shocked to find out that battery replacements for their cars, especially older models, tops $20,000 to replace their batteries. Uh, an EV owner shared ex experience saying at the dealership, he looked it up online and it said, and he said, you're not going to like this before delivering a bill of $15,000 plus labor and taxes. Another person, Lao, uh, her electric SUV came with a warranty for the battery that covers 160,000 kilometers, which is 99,419 miles, or eight years, whichever comes first. This year, her EV clocked in more than 170,000 kilometers, meaning that her warranty no longer covers the battery. And when she would look to replace it, after it failed, it was $23,000 for her. So these electric batteries. Now, again, what's going to happen? We're requiring you as a government to have electric vehicles. Uh, so you're going to purchase the vehicles. Don't worry about the batteries. We'll provide them for you. But you have to do these things in order to get it, right? Um, and that is called ESG, which is environment, social, um, environmental social governance, or you see it called just environment, so, social, and governance. Um, and ESG is a globalist scam. This is the headline I'm reading. Meant to usher in one world government. I would agree with that. Um, so ESG scores have been used for a long time, um, and, but it's being pushed now in the economy, in the business sector, um, and it's uh, basically it's a weapon in the hands of social justice warriors to shake down corporations and a tool in the hands of those seeking to impose one world government. It's being used by that. Uh, in the early 2000s, a very few socially minded, socially activist uh, investors got together and thought up this idea that, well, it's probably the case that companies that are bad at environmental policy, bad with social responsibility, and have bad corporate governance are going to be bad bets in long-term investment. That was their idea. Um, but... Uh, it's suspect from the very beginning, and these scores have never translated into good long-term investments for businesses. If essentially, it's a tool to get companies to comply with government regulations, um, international regulations. They have the leverage to be able to use this like a financial gun to the head of any corporation that doesn't do what it wants them to do. There's no transparency into how these scores work and how they're determined. Basically, your company is rated on how well you do in making sure you're being good about the environment, making sure you're not stirring the pot when it comes to social issues. That means LGBTQ+, that means uh, abortion, that means religious freedom, that means standing up uh, for the freedoms of people when it comes to the COVID-19 stuff. 
all of that. It combines to make you a socially irresponsible or responsible corporation that can be invested in. Um, and once a company subscribes to this, you're basically held to that standard and you don't receive funding from your investors or you don't receive funding from the government or you could have fines and fees slapped on you for doing that. There's a very small number of people who wield a tremendous amount of power over the markets and they're able to make these decisions about the ESG scores. It's a return almost to a feudal system. The lords get to decide what is right and wrong with the uh, companies and the people. In fact, ESG scores are very much like China's social credit system. You guys heard about that, but it's applied at a corporate level. Social credit um, basically is a way for the Chinese government to track everything you say, everything you do, the things you buy, uh, the things you say on social media, who you're around, where you travel to, and you basically are giving a rating as to how good of a citizen for the Chinese government you are. Um, and this is basically the exact same thing, but at a corporate level. And like we saw, again, I keep, hate to keep bringing it up, but with COVID-19, we, the people, had the freedom to go and do what we wanted to, but the way that they got to lock us down to get us to, to obey is by attacking our places of business and the places where we purchase things from. And that's by controlling the corporations, by controlling the companies, by putting things like this in place. And that's the same thing that they're doing here with this. Um, there, in 2022, there were $41 trillion in ESG assets that are under management worldwide, $41 trillion. And uh, by 2025, it's expected to climb to $50 trillion of corporate investments that are controlled by ESG standards. So there's a push. Um, part of the ESG as well is, again, tied to the climate if you guys have been watching, there's a push for uh, these uh, fake meats, lack of no longer to be able to eat meat, no longer to be able to buy meat. We don't want to produce meat because it hurts the environment. Um, and so there's all this research into eating bugs and using, you know, uh, 3D printed steaks and all of these other things. Well, they're actually trying this out in the Netherlands right now where they are, they are basically changing children's, school children's meals to include bugs, food made with bugs. And they're trying to desensitize them to the fact of eating bugs is gross, right? Um, so they're, and they're doing that there. And in fact, there's pushes for that uh, in uh, Germany as well. They completely banned meat from their school altogether, um, and they're going to continue to do that. It, it's interesting as the one of the th things that we read about in the New Testament about um, uh, apostate teachers is that they will forbid people from eating meat, which is interesting to see. Nobody ever really thought of that as a sign of the Bible prophecy, but we always thought of it as going back to like the Catholics who say you can't eat uh, red meat on Fridays and have to eat fish or, you know, or whatever else, or maybe a vegan push. But uh, we're seeing that in the, in the government and society because it's good for the climate. It's good for the environment, right? And ultimately, it's a way to control people again. So we have that. 
uh, uh, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum. He's also part of this. It all ties together. He's pushing for a social credit system involving universal basic income, which means you don't have to work. You get 500 bucks a week into your bank account. It's probably going to be more like a month. Um, but And uh, it's your basic income. It's your basic right to have the government give you money or privilege uh, to give you money. And uh, a universal basic income is where government pays all individuals a set salary regardless of their means. It guarantees a certain amount of money from the state without any requirement to work. Now, as we've seen, anything that the governments give you comes with strings attached, and that's control. Uh, In Ireland, March 2022, uh, they made a welcome step to the first basic income scheme where artists in Ireland will get £250 a week in a pilot scheme. Five months later, it had already had to be increased to £325, um, and they called it a seismic leap forward where some 2,000 artists will be guaranteed that weekly wage amount for doing nothing. Um, It's being promoted as money for nothing and no questions asked. Just across the Irish Sea in the UK, a document was published on the UK Parliament website in June 2022 called Potential Merits of a Universal Basic Income. They're taking the idea of UBI very seriously and moving along rapidly. Uh, They don't end there. Uh, The links to the UK Parliament and ex-UK parliamentarians doesn't end there, however, Um, The ex-PM Prime Minister of the UK, Tony Blair, is also involved uh, in pushing UBI. And Tony Blair is a member of the World Economic Forum. He's been financed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for tens of millions of dollars, and he's been pushing for a digital ID for years. And the digital ID is basically a standard that says this is your number, this is who you are. Um, And it's a way, again, to track everyone. Um, and it, the Brits are supporting this. Um, they're pushing to have uh, young people in the UK who will be, they call it leaving care, which means you're getting kicked out of your house, right, at 18 to go work um, or not. Uh, but young people leaving care will be offered £1,600 a month for two years from the month after their 18th birthday. That works out at £19,200 per year. Um, And so they're pushing this, and it's not just over in Europe. In Stockton, California, they did a trial of this um, in 2021 where they, they trialed universal basic income and found a surprising result. So they say... Stockton gave 125 people $500 a month with no requirement to work and studied them for one year to see what happened. They say full-time employment shot up 12%, um, and they also reported feeling less anxious and depressed and spent more quality time with their kids. Um, What they didn't take into fact was that happened during the COVID-19 pandemic as well. So Finland in 2017 paid 20,000 unemployed people $560 a month. And they say after two years, recipients were happier, healthier, and more confident during the pandemic, many nations, um, and more confident. During the pandemic, many nations have given cash payments to the poorest people, including the U.S., India, and Spain. So it all ties together there. 
um, and they keep going on. I don't have time to continue to push that, but um, all the tech giants, Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Pierre Omidyar, who is the eBay founder, Andrew, I don't know how to say his last name, NG, uh, Bill Gross, Ray Kurzweil, um, uh, are all pushing for a UBI and a digital ID. And that means their companies are pushing for a universal basic in, income and a digital ID. And uh, they're basically saying there are many worries about it. There are many uh, issues with data privacy, with trust, with abuse. But basically what they've said publicly is that we have to just get used to it, is what they say. So, And this is all part of this global reset that they want to take place. So back to um, the new UK prime minister. So he said some good things about Israel, but if you look at the sign in the background there, it's kind of blurry, but what does it say? Build back better. That was his motto. Um, so he, though he says he's a conservative in the UK, he's tied right into the World Economic Forum. Um, his uh, father-in-law, in fact, is, is right in the pocket of George Soros, who's one of those globalists who is pushing for um, the end of uh, national sovereignty, the collapse of the economies of the West, and a global one-world government, one-world society. So uh, he may not be so good for UK. Um, in our country, we have this big push for ESG, environmental social go- governance, so much so that there are actually 19 states right now that are investigating financial institutions for their commitment to this. So we see it in the U.S., and they're trying to get um, uh, to, to stop that from taking place. So that's a good thing, but that shows that it's here in the United States as well. And again, they're pushing it. And what ties into all this, again, one world economy, one world government, all the control. In Australia, a bank there has begun linking customer transactions to their carbon footprint. So what this means um, is they've partnered with this company called Kogo, which is a carbon management solutions company, to launch a new feature um, where the bank gives the customer the option to pay a fee to offset their carbon footprint with the average listed as 1,280 kilograms, a long way from what what the uh, World Economic Forum and these others have pushed Agenda 2030 for a sustainable figure of 200 kilograms. Um, And uh, basically a, a person's carbon footprint is calculated and then an equivalent metric is shown which is intended to make the customer feel guilty about how they've used their money, um, such as eight trees being cut by what you've spent on, essentially. By combining our rich customer data and Kogo's industry-leading capability in measuring carbon outputs, we'll be able to provide greater transparency for customers so that they can take actionable steps to reduce their environmental footprint. The bank has promised to refine the calculation down to showing how much CO2 individual purchases are responsible for. So CO2, which again, kids, doesn't make sense. CO2, we breathe out. Plants, trees, oxygen, they need it for food. It's good for the environment. It's not bad for the environment. Your October footprint is equivalent to driving 3,065 kilometers by car or eight trees being cut. And then they break it out as to how much your transport uh, was bad social or bad carbon credits, 
your groceries cost you more carbon credits and eating out costs you more carbon credits. So that's the push. Now, again, right now it's optional. Right now you can optionally pay a fee for it. But this was pushed by Obama. This was pushed by all these other governments. And it would not be surprising if not too long in the future it's a requirement where you're spending what you do is tracked based on how you impact the environment. And you don't pay an optional fee. You pay a required fee on what you, um, how you affect it. So i got to go quickly. We're running out of time. Uh, everybody has thought crypto currency like bitcoin um dogecoin all these other ones have thought that it is a shelter from uh fiat currencies and and the world governments and control and privacy but there's no place that is safe from these reach the reaches of the one world governments and all of these things um there's a new um entity called the oect which uh I actually don't have exactly what that... Oh, here we go. Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development is a Paris-based international organization that works to build better policies for better lives. Its goal is to shape policies that foster prosperity, equality, opportunity, and well-being for all. Together with governments, policymakers, and citizens, the OECD works on finding solutions to a range of social, economic, and environmental challenges from improving economic performance and creating jobs to fostering strong education and fighting international tax evasion. Um, and and it uh, wants to develop public policies and set international standards. So, and they've called, they've created since 2014, a thing called the common reporting standard. And uh, it forces financial institutions to automatically exchange account information with the authorities of the country of residence of their account holders. So you go overseas, you have a bank account overseas, which is a way a lot of people got around taxing and privacy and all that kind of stuff. Um, Now there is a standard that is beginning to be enforced by governments to say that that bank has to give up all of your information to the country that you come from that you're a resident of. Um, The goal is to prevent persons from holding financial bank accounts in offshore jurisdictions and not report them back home. And that is why all financial service providers request utility bills to prove you're a resident, right? We just um, uh, went and, and got a car, had to have a utility bill for it. Sign up for things for, uh, you know, bank accounts, for loans, uh, for anything when it comes to do with money. You have to prove that you're a resident, provide a utility bill. That all ties back into this. Now, this is for standard banks, but they've, they're pushing now, uh, but these international regulators, they're pushing to force all service providers in the cryptocurrency industry to record all crypto trades on exchanges, Record large purchases from private wallets, record all transfers to cold storage, and make lists with private wallet addresses. Send all this info annually to the tax authorities, and finally force governments to pass these rules into domestic law. So your money is not safe, but more importantly, your privacy and how you live is not safe either from this. But it's turning into a total system of control. 
And uh, if you've noticed in the U.S., they're pushing for the central bank digital currency here, the U.S. Um, digital dollar, and they're talking about it. So um, I am completely out of time. There is so much, you guys, um, to what's going on right now. Um, what I wanted to get to, and I'm going to touch on this right now, is that uh, there was a, a research paper that just came out from Arizona Christian University and George Barna. And it's called Issues of Influence. The economy is hot, religious freedom and environment are not. So they did a survey and they asked uh, Americans what are the top most influential issues um, that will affect how they vote in November 8 elections. Topping the list are inflation, the rising cost of living um, by 61%. Food prices and shortages were identified by 60%. Oil and gasoline policies and prices were named by roughly 6 out of 10 adults. Um, and then another economic issue, jobs and unemployment, was rated the eighth most influential. So these, uh, tri this trio of issues, inflation, food prices, gas prices, like we've talked about tonight, are only three of the more than 20 issues that were put forward for people to give their emphasis on. Um, so they took a look at basically the sentiment of people right now, and those are the issues, and I would say rightly so. We look around, the economy, uh, inflation, food prices, gas prices, it's going up. So what was also studied was the breakdown of the religious affiliation of people and how they um, said that they would vote this time around. Among the religious segments of the population, the top three ranked issues, inflation, food prices, and gas prices were nearly universal. That's what all the religious groups said, that those are the most important things. The only exceptions were adults who have a biblical worldview who ranked food prices and shortages as the fifth most impactful issue, and people who claim to be theologically liberal ranking gas prices and policies fifth. Uh, religious freedom is a top five issue only among people with a biblical worldview and among people who identify the Bible as their primary source of moral guidance. Uh, those are two different groups there. Um, the latter group was also the only one to include protection against terrorism in their top five. Racism is a top five issue only among those who say they are theologically liberal and the second group among adults who do not associate with Christianity. Uh, the latter segment was also the only one to include the cost of health insurance and health care in the list. Theological conservatives were the sole segment to list immigration in their five most influential issues. Surprisingly, religious segments such as quote-unquote born-again Christians and people who regularly attend evangelical churches did not include issues such as abortion, national morals and values, and religious freedom in their top five lists. This is the state of our culture and our society, the state of the church. The church is apostatizing, meaning falling away, right? If we have to have a biblical worldview. You guys, uh, I'm not one to push you out and say it's your, it's your duty under God to go out and vote. But if you're going to vote, you need to vote on life. 
you have to vote online. That is the issue. How many of you guys have gotten all the flyers from the Democratic candidates in your mailbox? I mean, we're flooded with it. What is the issue on all of them? Abortion, women's reproductive choices, all of these things. That is the issue that they're pushing forward. And yet, when polled, Christians, Bible-believing Christians, they care more about their pocketbooks. They care more about the things that Jesus told us not to worry about, right? Our food and our clothing and, and our shelter, all of those things. They care more about that than about protecting innocent lives and religious freedom and all of these things and national morals. That is what they are caring about overall. We need, as a group of believers, we need to be light. And we're not going to be light if we're only concerned with ourselves, as a state of our culture and our society, to have this idea of syncretism I talked about a few weeks ago. And it's t- picking and choosing from different philosophies and religions and pulling them together to make it fit. How it looks in the church is says, I'm going to believe the things that I want to believe from the scriptures. I'm going to throw out these other things and I'll borrow from here and there. So basically that says, well, when it comes to uh, my... Uh, uh, personal life, yeah, I'll go to church, I'll do all of these things, but it doesn't really affect my life when it comes to politics. It doesn't affect my choices when it comes to the things around me in culture and society. It should just stay at home for me and then pull it together. But that's not what the Bible says we as Christians are to be, but to live before uh, the world as light. And that means standing up for these issues, national morals and values, doesn't mean that we become a theocracy, but it means we have a voice to say this is right. We should do these things to stand up in defense of the people who have no voice um, and, and to stand up for these things. You guys, our children are being attacked right now and from the, the unborn all the way up. More than 100 churches have been vandalized since the Supreme Court overturned Roe and not one arrest has been made. The British Parliament okayed a two-year prison term for praying outside abortion clinics within their buffer zone. You can be thrown in jail for two years. Um, Our own Department of Defense said that they will pay for military members to go and get an abortion in a state where it's legal for them. Right? Our own Democrat, Patty Murray, Senate, she said that if she's voted in again, she's going to kill the filibuster in the Senate and she's going to codify Roe v. Wade into state law. And in California, which I believe is a canary in the coal mine for our states, Proposition 1 is being pushed. And basically it opens the door for abortion up to and after birth. Um, and it basically says no one can say that you do not have a, a right to your reproductive freedom without actually defining that. Now, they say it's for women's rights, for, for women's reproductive rights, but the way it's worded and what it does, it opens the door for any sexual deviancy out there, pedophilia, incest, rape, uh, all of those things. You, because basically you're interfering with someone's reproductive freedoms if you say that they cannot do that sexual act any longer, that that's wrong. And it, and it basically it allows for infanticide, and, uh, all, again, like I said, all the way up to um, a, a living child that's there in, in the um, pregnancy ward. And uh, it is a open door for these. And there's a battle going on in California right now for that. We need to pray for them. 
that that does not happen, but I would not be surprised if we begin to see the same kinds of things in our state. So, but we need to be salt. We need to be light, um, and we need to we need to protect our kids. We need to have a biblical worldview. We need to recognize Jesus is coming back soon, and that doesn't mean we put our heads in the ground, heads in the sand, but that means that we live as Christians in the world. We live it out, and we be faithful to the Lord, and we trust him like Psalm 34 said. We trust the Lord. He's our protection. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for tonight. I pray that no one was disturbed to their faith being shaken, Lord. But I pray that it would cause us, again, to just look up and say, you're coming back soon. There were so many things that I didn't cover, I didn't have time to cover tonight. Lord, I pray that these people would not have to rely on us to bring them the things that are going on around us, Lord. But that you would give in their hearts, not this intense desire, uh, morbid desire to just be on the news all the time, but an excitement to see how things are progressing towards what you say they're going to be like, Lord. And to be aware of the issues around us that we might live as lights in the world that you have uh, placed us in, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen.